Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Barry Schlauk. Barry is the president of Schlauk Incorporated since 1983. The company does $65 million in sales with a team of over 180. Barry, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. My pleasure. So how did it all start for me? I heard you you were in a basement and you had no equipment and you had nothing going on and you suddenly decide to uh, get this business going? So yes, in uh, March 3rd, 1983, we launched then a small excavating company, my wife and I, a five-year-old and one-year-old, one-year-old daughter, five-year-old son. We capitalized uh, the company with $2,000 and started right out of the basement of our small brick rancher in near Reading, Pennsylvania. And since then, over 37, that's 37 years ago, <laughs> we've collectively have done about $1.5 in business from that $2,000 investment. Today, we employ 283 dynamic employees and their families. And it's been, it just keeps getting better and better. So walk me through, did you know that you wanted to start that type of business? Did you sort of walk into it? How did you select that business to get into? So I was blessed to grow up on a farm. Okay. okay. While everybody was herded in the school and had to memory test to get good grades, <laughs> I'm actually out there applying it. So in farming, you don't have the labor laws. So I cut my teeth on a tractor at eight years old. Oh. So while you know my peers, uh, and I had 400 of them when I graduated, were in there trying to memory test, I was actually out there applying it. like fertilizer ratios to prepare for the crops, crop row plantation. I learned the complete, I call it the law of the harvest from seed to table. So I had skills and experience by the time I graduated high school, while the rest were kind of stuck memory testing. And I didn't know it at the time, but interesting, if you take Excel course, and you don't use it for six months, you lose it. Okay. (laughs) So memory testing has its place, good grades have its place, but experiencing it and doing something with what you learn gave me an advantage as a young boy into my teenage years. So I got married at 19 years old. If you want to get purpose, get married and have a boy at 19 years old. (laughs) Uh, It'll mature you really quick and it'll give you a lot of purpose. So I married the lady of my dreams in uh, two years right out of high school. She was one year out of high school and, you know, I got purpose real quick and I just wanted to bring good to my family. So that really lit the, the pilot light was flowing inside because I wanted to make it work for my wife and my child. So that kind of, that's how it propelled. So I was working on the farm as a, with my grandpa's farm at the time. And two bucks an hour with no health care wasn't going to cut it with uh, (laughs) getting married and boy on the way. So I got a job with my father as a construction laborer. He was a heavy construction equipment operator. And 
I just loved it. I went out there and learned how to lay pipe and concrete and paving and excavating. And I just loved it. So I ended up going to school at night for surveying and civil engineering because I kept wanting to do things better. And when I learned about plans and blueprints and that everything's mathematically calculated for construction, roads, buildings everywhere, I just wanted to master that. So I became a surveyor 21 years old, uh, two years in laboring and became a surveyor, worked for a civil engineer and was staking out a road just for a year. And contractor said, looks like you know what you're doing. I need somebody to show my people how to build the road. So I ended up running a small company from 21 years old to 25. And I never dreamed about starting a business. I didn't grow up in a business family. I don't have a business degree. I was a C average high school graduate, you know, living the dream with my family. And a subcontractor who I was using, quite a bit older than me, about 20 years older than me, was a seasoned businessman. He saw the good in me and he kept telling me, a guy by the name of Dwight Powell out of Texas, living in Pennsylvania, he called me Burry because he had that Texas accent. <laughs> and he, he came up to me one day, I'm 24 years old, and he said, Burry, you're pretty good at this. You should start your own business. <laughs> now, it took me a while. At 24 years old, we finally got a house. My wife and I lived in a 10 by 50 mobile house trailer when we got married at the farm. And, you know, he finally got a house, had a mortgage, was vice president of this small company, you know, living the dream. And then he comes and tells me I should start my own company. So it caught on. I quit my job, no benefits again, no income. And we capitalized it with 2000 bucks, put our house up for equity, got a line of credit and off we were living the dream again. So that's, that was the progression. And the one thing was, if you show up every day, give the best of yourself every day and just get a little bit better. That's my story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether it be a farmer boy, a construction laborer, a surveyor, or running this small excavating company, I did them three things consistently and I still do it. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. Did it sort of start start quickly for you, like the, the business growth, or did you make a lot of face plants in the, the beginning? So I recommend for aspiring entrepreneurs a 10,000-hour rule. There's a book called Outliers, and it works. Trust me. I had right around 10,000 hours, construction labor, surveyor, four-person, really learning the work and getting good at the work. So I believe wholeheartedly in the rule of the uh, 10,000-hour rule. And it's about what you need to get good at something, Uh, whether it's sports, whether it's construction, whether it's whatever. You put that 10,000 hours in, you kind of got the context of the game that you're playing, whether it be whatever game of life. And because in capitalism, there's three things that have to happen in capitalism to succeed in it. Number one is capitalism starts with skills. So no skills. It's a rough life in capitalism. It really is. Now you're dependent on somebody else to take care of you, whether it be welfare or unemployment or a family member. But once when you have those skills and as you develop those skills, you get to the second level in capitalism, which is service. Skills create the service, whether you're in construction, manufacturing, doctor, lawyer, those skills create the service to the community. And then when you get to the third step in capitalism, which is value, okay, people will pay for value, but 
the value they're paying for is a, is a service rendered. So to do the service, you got to have the skills. So too many times people get it backwards in capitalism. They say, hey, Barry, what are you paying? Well, that's the wrong question. The right question is, what are your skills? Okay, that creates a service. Then we can talk about the value. So I work very hard in our company. to uh, We follow that model, skills, service, value. So for 37 years, we've been a skill builder of all our people. And as their skills go up, their service goes up, and their value goes up. So we're constantly focused on advancing. That's how people advance in their career. Yeah. So I think you talked your early uh, days being out in the field, putting your learning things, working with your hands. But I noticed you've taken a lot of time to sort of build out your educational base, you know, through Harvard and a lot of other schools. Tell me about that. How did that fit into your development? So like when I wanted to become a surveyor, I had to go back to school and take trigonometry, okay, to start. You got to know how to triangulate. So I'm like, okay, but I would take it as I went. So I take trig and now I'm practicing. Okay. Mm. Again, you take trig and don't use it, and it's like Excel. So I'm very good at lining up my education investment. I try and do six weeks a year of of education. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I apply it. So my latest education is on workforce development. Mm -hmm. I think the future are the leaders that learn how to empower their workforce. So I'm upskilling right now in workforce development. So I'm putting a lot of education. Now, the great thing is I have 283 employees to practice on, okay? (laughs) So I can go to school, okay, or I can take seminars or online. There's a lot of ways to learn, and then I can apply it. So now I'm applying skills to workforce development. So what does that look like, workforce development? And there's five things I've looked at that I got to be really great at. Number one is I have to be great at attracting. So I'm working on branding. Okay, why would somebody want to come work for you? So how does a branding look? How are we attracting? Okay, recruiting. Uh, Second thing is onboarding. So once when we attract somebody, how do we onboard them? And onboarding is a, you know, it's kind of like moving into a new home. Okay, it takes time. So I I believe in five years to onboard people. So we need to have uh, an onboarding skills development mentoring program so that they can succeed. The first five years are critical. Like some people get people, they have a 60-day probation and they get them and forget them, okay? <laughs> we still have our first employee 37 years wow. and still developing. I mean, even Steve Jobs and Bill Gates didn't accomplish that. I mean, what, Steve Jobs kept Paul Allen for maybe 10 years. Oh, I'm sorry, Wozniak for 10 years, okay? And Gates had, what, Paul Allen for about 10 years. We st- well, I have my... I have what I call our Wozniak 37 years <laughs> and first employee. So they have more zeros to the end of the numbers than I do, but we have deeper relationships. So that's kind of how I focus on education. The third step is recruiting. Second is onboarding. Third step is development. So we don't stop at five years at learning. We're continuously developing. So every year, We talk about all 283. What's the next skill to increase their service and their value? So everybody's working on the next skill, including myself. Okay. The fourth step is retention. Okay. It is a huge problem if you 
invest and you don't retain the people. Okay. So we want to invest and educate them so they can get a job anywhere, anytime. Mm -hmm. But we want to treat them so well that they'll never leave. Okay. Because I hear from my peers like, well, if I put all that education and they'll, they'll leave, well, shame on you. You got to treat them well enough that they'll never leave. <laughs> okay. And then the fifth step is succession. So I've been, I'm working on a third generation model right now. We're first generation. Second generation is pretty much in play. And I'm looking at the third generation right now. So I believe in free deep because our company is built to last. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Now, you talked about skills. You talked about some of the skills you're working on. What are the, the skills progression, let's say onboarding for these new people? What sort of skill development uh, path do you put them on? So when we look at a new hire, the first thing that we do is we do a test, okay? So let's take a, you know, we're in heavy construction. I'm going to take a dozer operator, cat, cat, caterpillar dozer operator. So what we'll do is we'll have them come out for a day before they're hired, and they'll spend a whole day mm-hmm. with a crew. Mm-hmm. That crew assess their skills. So we'll know their operating skills. We'll know their maintenance skills. We'll know their safety skills. We'll know a little bit about their communication. And then we'll, we'll have a baseline of where they're at. We do a lot of work on job role development. So every, every job has three, three roles. It's one of three, either your entry, your intermediate, or your advanced. Now, we all start out entry in everything we do. Okay? So we're trying to figure out in the beginning what their baseline is, where they fit in, so we can pay them according to their skills. Remember, skills service value. So their skill will set the level of service and that'll create the value. So we want everybody to get to advance. That's the highest paid, okay? And, and they can continually to, to increase. So, but not everybody starts out advanced. It's impossible. I mean, when we're born, we can't even crawl, okay? So, you know, we learn how to crawl, walk, and run. It's the same thing in any trade. So then what we do is we put a learning plan together with their baseline. So they may not be able to read blueprints. They may not know surveying. They may not know proper safety. So we put that in play. And that's for the whole life. Okay. I'm 37 years at this company. I'm, I'm still working at it. Mm. That's very cool. So you talk about service. How do you, do you measure that somehow? So how we measure service against, let's take a competitor. Okay. Like kind competitor, let's say they have 283 people. You look at uh, the level of those skills. So we have a skill base. Everybody is either entry, intermediate, advanced. He or she who has the most advanced people is going to have the best service. Mm. Okay. Remember, skills create the service. So if I have all entry people and I'm not developing them, I'm going to have an entry level service. Yeah. If I have advanced people, I'm going to have an advanced service. Okay, so we're working with the top-end clients in the world. I'll like, give you an example. We're with some of the major hospitals, and you've got to be the best of the best. So we have, we have major hospital contracts because they know every time we're going to come through it safe, we're going to come through it with quality, and we're going to come through it productively. Like Hershey, uh, we're in Pennsylvania. Hershey, you, you probably heard of uh, Milton Hershey, the, the chocolate king. Yeah. So Hershey is one of our, our best clients. We're doing a uh, new park expansion for Hershey Park. Mm. So once again, to even get on the list, to even be considered, you've got to be an advanced player. 
Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So when you're not working with your people and and building all that stuff out and improving yourself, which I love, I love the personal development projects you talk about. What do you do? I heard that you're, you're great with the outdoors. You love that stuff. So I grew up on a farm. We're actually moving to a farm here shortly. We're in doing some renovation and I spend time with my family. Like Sunday, we were all at the farm. My son-in-law likes to fish. We have a uh, six-week-old grandson and a two-year-old grandson. And my wife and I have them three days a week. So I spend as much time as I can. And not that I can, I want to. Like, if I don't see those little guys, like, for a day, I miss them. Mm, So, like, Chase and Cole, their names are, I take him out and we watch job sites. Mm. And I video job sites during the week when I'm out and he's not out. I show him these videos. He already knows at two years old, he knows how things work. He knows, <laughs> the, he knows the process. He knows what the machinery does. And he even takes his little models and he fills the buckets with dirt because he knows that dirt goes in them buckets. Okay. <laughs> and it is amazing at two years old, they have a photographic memory and just how advanced he is with excavating already. And then what I do, I wait till, you know, the end of the day, people go home because of safety. And I have a key to the Caterpillar and we open it up. I let him sit on the seat and he pulls the controls and he's learning the controls at two years old. So I have a lot of passion with family. We enjoy quality time of hiking. We do a lot of hiking. I run, I'm a runner, still doing marathons. My daughter and I do, oh, wow. my daughter and I do marathons together. So we enjoy that. And we very much like nature, really just there's turkey on the farm and deer, and we just, um, we have a bald eagle, and really just blessed to be enjoying this beautiful world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I read somewhere that your your wife's an artist. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and we have a studio on the farm where she uh, overlooks an acre pond, and she, we have about uh, 50 pieces of art in our office. Wow. People come in, they say, oh, my God, I never realized I'm going to work in an art studio or a museum. (laughs) And art inspires people. Mm. So we want to inspire people all day long. Subconsciously, it inspires. So no matter where you go in our facility, we have about a um, 30,000 square foot facility. There's art, even in the shop where the garage is, where the mechanics work. And we want to continue to inspire them. And we have sunlight throughout the building. So we have uh, windows in every office. And we have interior windows in the hallway and sunlight energizes. So what we do is we inspire and energize all day long. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, just going back to something you mentioned earlier, which is your value piece. Now, you know, in different industries and construction, there's this pressure to compete on price. Obviously, you guys don't do that. How do you approach selling value or just sort of going to market with that value piece? So there's three things that are most important in our company, and I'll give them to you. Number one is safety. Mm-hmm. Number two is safety. <laughs> and number three is safety. Those are our values, all the three. There are three priorities, safety, safety, and safety. Okay? So you take like COVID-19. That thing appeared like really February, early March. It really got serious. And our governor actually shut down construction middle of March. We're the only one that out of 50 states that construction was closed. And it was closed till May 1st. 
Mm. Now, we had some hospital projects that were considered life-sustaining. So we had about 30% of the workforce going. But, you know, people were scared. I mean, when you put on CNN, two things you looked at, how many people got infected? Yeah. People started believing one of two things, uh, I'm going to get infected or I'm going to die. Yeah. So, you know, how do you deal with that? So for us, we did the same thing we always did, is we work safe. So in construction, it's called the fatal four. So there's four things that generally people will die from on a construction site. Mm -hmm. One is electrical. Mm -hmm. Two is falling. Three is struck by, like hitting, getting hit by a car. And four is caught between, like getting buried in a trench. Okay. So those are, so what we did is we simply uh, developed what we call the fatal five. So we had those four and we added COVID-19 as a fifth. So what we did, we have 13 certified and I'm board certified in safety myself. And we designed the standards, the process, and the accountability to mitigate and prevent COVID-19. That began mid-March. We even trained people at home how to go safely to the grocery store. Because what happened was, with the shutdown, people were going to Walmart and the grocery store. And in March, there was no social distancing, very little. They were in lines at the cash registers, you know, you name it. And they, they potentially could get infected in where they were being sent to. So we trained all the, the families in addition to our employees. We designed the safety standards on the job site early March. We were doing health assessments. We were social distancing. We had sanitation. We even had hand washing stations in the field. We we're cleaning down the equipment. And here we are, uh, June 9th, 283 employees, 283 families, zero infections, zero fatalities. We've had zero issues with COVID-19. And what we did is we proved out that you can mitigate it with proper safety. So the advantage it gave us is clients want us on their job. Mm. They don't want to be infected on the job. Who do they want? They want Schlauch because we mitigated and we educated our clients how to do it. When it was time to go back to work on May 1st, everybody came back to work. My peers were struggling getting people coming back to work because they were afraid. Our people felt more safe at a Schlauch job site and the office than they did anywhere else. So where did they want to come? They want to come to work. And the family wasn't concerned because we educated them early on. So if the in-laws are living at home with the family, they were comfortable because, hey, you're not going to bring it home because you're working at a safe place. So what COVID-19 has, the pandemic is very unfortunate, you know, especially if you got it, the COVID-19, or if somebody in your family passed away from it. Okay. What it did for us is it deepened the trust with our families, with our employees, with our clients, with our subcontractors, with our community. And we even worked with the governor's team to help them reopen construction safely because they knew that we were in the front of how to mitigate it. So I know that was a little bit lengthy answer, but that's the value and that's how it gets delivered. And that's how it attracts uh, repeat business. Because when you can master these type of things, and we're in the business to manage risks for our clients. I mean, that's what we do. We manage their risks. Their projects get done safely. They don't want lawsuits in their job sites because somebody got killed or injured. That quality, they don't want the paving settling a year from now or five years from now. 
uh, they know with slop that uh, that paving sound is going to be done right. And they want it done on time. And they know with slop, our, our gold standard is we always finish one time uh, no matter what. So that's the value that we're delivering, and that's why we keep growing. It makes, it makes lots of sense. What's the future hold for you? The future is bright. Uh, as I mentioned, we're built to last. COVID just really, COVID kind of just like brought the whole thing together as far as that. I knew we were built to last, but now I know we're built to last. <laughs> like if you can mitigate that and deepen trust, okay, and come out ahead, okay, and I, when I say come out ahead, thriving, I'm not talking about uh, the, the unfortunate people that got sick or or passing away. I mean, uh, sure. But when you can come out of it stronger and better, uh, the future is very bright. So we're ready for the next pandemic, and there'll be one. I don't know what it's going to be. Whoever would have thought last year it's COVID-19. But the next one that comes, we're ready. We're prepared. We'll educate ourselves. We'll master it, and we'll come out stronger and better. Very Thank you so much. I learned a lot and the audience uh, definitely uh, appreciates your knowledge as well. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.